Well, this morning we're here in the Gospel of Luke. If you're our guest, we are taking a journey through this wonderful, wonderful book of the Bible, the Gospel of Luke. We have been in chapter 3 and chapter 4 for a few weeks. We've titled this section, Behold the Man, because Jesus is introduced. He begins his public ministry introducing himself and also introducing others to his kingdom as he begins to share that message. And so this morning we come to the close of that section, Behold the Man, in chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. Now, here in the United States, the third Monday of every February is a federal holiday, federal holiday, uh, and that was established back in 1971. In 1971, there was an act which passed Congress called the Uniform Federal Holiday Act, which moved some of the holidays to place them on Monday to give that extended weekend and that long weekend that all the people love and all the pastors hate so much. <laughs> but notice that tomorrow, though we celebrate President's Day, did you know that really it wasn't even known as President's Day until the mid-1980s? And as a matter of fact, that is not the official, nor is it the original title of the holiday. It is not, in reality, President's Day. For nearly a hundred years, the holiday was always held on February 22nd until it was moved to the third Monday of the month of February. It was held on February 26th, 22nd. And the original and still official title is not President's Day. It is Washington's birthday. Washington's birthday. That's the official historical title. George Washington, of course, our first president, was born on February 22nd, 1732. Actually, it was born on February 11th, but then there was a change of that calendar thing that happened in the 1700s, and it was moved to the 22nd, as everybody else's was moved, except for the April Fools. We won't go into all that. <laughs> George Washington was our first president, and he still holds the title as being the only unanimously elected president. He received every single one of the votes of the electors of the Electoral College. Only one to ever receive all the electoral votes. The reason for that is because he was so beloved and so esteemed across the new United States because for eight and a half years he had led the Continental Congress and uh, Continental Army rather and really led the nation in its war for independence from 1775 in the spring until in the winter of eight, 1783 he was the leader of the Continental Army. Washington was beloved by 
our nation for all that he had done. But you may not know this. And it is not generally noted in any teaching of our history today. Washington was almost universally admired and extolled for something he did not do. He did something, but it was what he did not do that demonstrated such incredible awe and caused that awe around the world. And it happened on December 23rd, 1783. General Washington traveled with several of his leading officers. He traveled to Annapolis, Maryland, where the Congress, the Continental Congress, was meeting. And in a very moving ceremony that touched all who were there, General Washington, after eight and a half years, returned his commission as commanding general of the army to Congress that had given it to him. He voluntarily surrendered his power to the representatives assembled of the people of the United States. By that act, what he was saying, there would be no more kings. No more kings, and he was saying there would be no dictator. Because there were many who wanted him to maintain the army. Wanted him to bring together the ravaged states. Wanted him with the power and the esteem that he had and the military might to make himself dictator, but he would not do it. King George III of England, King George III of England was having his portrait at that time painted in England by the American-born artist Benjamin West, and here is what King George III said of his nemesis, George Washington. He said, if Washington does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. He will be the greatest man in the world. Why? Power. Power. Power tests a man or woman's character like nothing else. Nothing reveals the character of a man or a woman as how they use whatever power they may possess. Our passage today displays the character of our Lord Jesus Christ so incredibly because it shows us what he did and what he does with his power. Jesus has power. He said, all power in heaven and on earth is mine. And yet he submitted his power to the leadership of the Heavenly Father, to the submission of the Holy Spirit, in order to accomplish God's mission, in order to establish God's kingdom.
He took his great power and used it, not for himself, but for the glory of God and the blessing of man. Our bulletin says on the front, what? Behold the man. And what a man he is, right? What a man. What a master. He is Messiah, mighty and merciful. And that's what we're going to see in this passage today. He is Messiah. He is mighty. And he is merciful. Notice his ministry had a mighty and merciful message. A mighty and merciful message. Now I say message because you need to remember Jesus in his ministry above everything else that he was. He was a preacher. He was a preacher. The word for preaching is keruso. Keruso. It means to proclaim. And Jesus said that he was a preacher with something to proclaim. Look back at verses 18 and 19 from last week. In Nazareth synagogue, he said this. Verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim. Keruso, proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and to the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. He is a preacher proclaiming, proclaiming, proclaiming the message of the Lord. And what was the response to this message of the gospel in Nazareth? Uh, not quite thankful, was it? No. Why were they not thankful as Jesus brought this gospel message of the acceptable year of God's favor, the arrival of God's grace? Why were they so upset with Jesus because of what he said? Because Jesus told the people in his hometown of Nazareth that they were not candidates for this blessing. They were not candidates for this good news. Why? Because they thought they were okay. They didn't need his help. They didn't need his message. They didn't need anything. Their religion was enough, thank you. Their righteousness was enough, thank you. They were poor, yes, but they were better than the heathens around them, thank you. We don't need this. They said, in effect, hey, we're okay. And Jesus said, oh, no, you're way far from okay. You're not okay. You're not. In fact, he said the reason you're not okay is you think you're okay. That's your root problem. Your root problem is your religious self-righteousness. You are so far from the kingdom of God because you have your own kingdom of your own man-made self-righteousness that you are not a candidate for the kingdom of God because you're quite comfortable 
in the kingdom of the north, south, east, and west that borders yourself that you have made. You're self-righteous. And then just to show them they were self-righteous, he said, let me show you what the fruit of the problem is. The root of the problem is your self-righteous religion, and the fruit of it is your racial self-superiority. He told them a story about the widow of Zarephath, who was the only widow who was ministered to by Elijah in his day. And they didn't like that story. And then he told them the story about Naaman the leper, who was a pagan worshiper and a commander of the enemy's forces. And he was the only leper that was cleansed in Elisha's day. None of the other were cleansed. And they didn't like that because what was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, until you consider yourself as far away from God as that woman in Zarephath or that leper, Naaman in Syria, you cannot come in. You're not okay. Because I haven't come to heal the healthy. I've come to do what? To heal those who are sick. I'll give my life a ransom for many. And what was the response to Jesus preaching in his hometown? Murderous rage. They tried to drag him to the cliff on which the city was built and throw him down. In a murderous rage, they attacked him. And that passage says... That Jesus just passed right through the middle of them. We don't even know what happened. We don't know if he was transformed, translated, beamed up or what. But he just walked through the middle of them. And guess what? This is what is so sad. Here was Jesus' response. That's how they responded to Jesus. What was Jesus' response? He walked away and didn't come back. Never comes back to his hometown. They don't want him. They don't want him. They don't like his message. They reject their very own. The one from their hometown. Who has this ministry of healing. They don't want him. Jesus said okay. He walked away. As it were he shook the dust off his feet. He never returned. Friend, I'll tell you, that is very tragic. When Jesus walks away and isn't coming back, that's as bad as it gets. Most tragic place is a place that Jesus has left and he's not coming back. The most tragic life is a life with whom Jesus has pleaded and pleaded and pleaded and pleaded. And he walks away. And he's not coming back. He moved on. Where did he go? He walked 30 miles. Down to the Sea of Galilee. And he entered a town called Capernaum. City of Nahum is what it means. And it became his new adopted hometown. For the rest of his earthly ministry, this was really his hometown, Capernaum. It was the center of his operations, especially his ministry in the north. 
It's a very different city than his hometown of Nazareth. Nazareth is only 400 people. This city is about 1,500 people. It is a prosperous city where his town was a poorer place. It is wealthy with the fish trade and the caravan routes that skirt by the edge of the Sea of Galilee and the barter and the trade that is done there. It's regionally significant because there is a a centurion, there's a Roman guard of at least a hundred soldiers or more that are there, stationed there. There's also a royal official who lives there. We're going to meet both of these individuals in this story through Luke. It's a much more diverse place. People from different groups, nations, cultures, they live there. And it becomes Jesus' new home address. But guess what? As different as Capernaum was from Nazareth, they had the same need. They needed the Lord and they needed the message that he had come to bring, they needed the power of the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus came. He came with that authority. He came with the authority of this message. And notice, what was this message? The focus of this message. Look at verse 31. tells us he came. And what did he come doing? Verse 31, he went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath day. He is teaching them. Again, notice he's handling the word. In Nazareth, he's proclaiming, he's preaching. Here he's teaching. Teaching has to do with explaining. He's explaining the scriptures. He's opening up the scriptures, teaching the people the true meaning of the scriptures. So what do we know about Jesus? He was a teacher and he was a preacher. You could say that Jesus was an expository preacher. He was a proclaimer of the message of God. He was a proclaimer of God's news. But he was also opening up the scriptures and teaching the scriptures. That is what his ministry was really all about. Preaching and teaching. And Luke records the focus of that teaching. And notice verse 32, Luke also records the force of that teaching. When Jesus taught, it was not yawning. It was not uh, trying to stifle a yawn. It wasn't drifting off. And I'm not looking at anybody right now (laughs) much. Verse, (laughs) Verse 32, verse 32, notice. It says of Jesus, as he preached and taught, they were, what's the word? Astonished. They were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed what? Authority. Authority. They had never heard anyone speak like this. Why? Because Jesus, listen carefully, when he teaches, he's using first personal pronouns. First person, personal pronouns. He's not saying it has been said. He says, I say to you. I say to you. He's not quoting the rabbis of the centuries. He's not debating their interpretations. He's stepping forward and saying, I will tell you 
what this means. He's speaking with authority. And they never heard anybody speak the word of God with this kind of authority. And they were astonished by it. Jesus was preaching the word. Think of it. Think of it, friends. The word was preaching the word. Wow. Now notice the extent of the authority. Notice the extent of his authority. Not only in his message, but also in his mighty and merciful miracles. Remember what we're talking about. He is making himself known for the very first time that he is Messiah, mighty and merciful. And he shows it in a mighty and merciful message. And now he's going to show it in mighty and merciful miracles. Jesus expressed the authority of the Lord, not just in word, but also in deed. Indeed, and into that synagogue, in that synagogue, an event takes place that demonstrates that authority like it's never been demonstrated before. Jesus shows that he has authority, notice this, over the spiritual realm. He has authority over the spiritual realm because as he is in that synagogue, teaching the word of God, all of a sudden, his heavenly message is interrupted by hellish hatred. Hellish hatred is spewed out. Verse 33, here's what happened. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. A tormented man, tormented man, bursts into the synagogue, swirling in anger, writhing in torment, his, his face hideous with fear mixed with hatred, raging. And he begins to shout and spew out declarations about Jesus and interrogations of Jesus while Jesus is speaking. Now, friend, let me tell you this. This is not mental illness. Regardless of what liberal interpreters of the word of God want us to think. This is not mental illness. This man is not insane. Our hearts go out. Our hearts are touched by people who have mental illness. Who are classified as insane. This man is not insane. He is inhabited. He is inhabited by spiritual beings. He is inhabited by demons. What are demons? Demons are maniacally murderous evil spirits who once worshipped God in heaven, but they rebelled against God led by the arch 
angel himself, the demon himself, Lucifer. And for the rebellion, they were cast out of the presence of God. And for eons of time, they have been filled with rage and hatred and fear of God. And they're cast on the earth and they roam the earth seeking inhabitants so that they can torment them, torment those who bear the image of God, control them so they can spew out their hatred and destroy people who are made in God's image. That's demons. When Jesus arrives, the demons know it. And when they know it, they rave in rage and they crave in cowardice. They rave in rage because they hate him like no other. And they crave in cowardice because they fear him like no other. They know their destiny. They know God has said they are going to the bottomless pit forever and they know their judge who's going to send them there and he has come this is him the son of God the Messiah Jesus of Nazareth is our judge and he's come to the earth if nobody else knows who Jesus is the demons know who he is they know who he is and they're terrified of him they hate him They identify him. We know who you are. The Holy One. Have you come to destroy us? Have you come to send us to the pit? Can you imagine the terror that entered that crowd? Can you imagine the terror? People backing up against the wall, maybe running out the door, transfixed as they've never seen anything. There's just terror in the crowd, but not in Jesus. He's not afraid, not one bit. Matter of fact, it's interesting. You read the text carefully. He was sitting down when he was teaching, and he didn't even get up for the demons. What does he do? He speaks. He doesn't have to touch the man. He doesn't have to grab the man. He speaks and he subdues them, brings them under the power of his word, and he tells them, shut up. Silence. And they shut up. Because his power of his word is almighty, and what he says must be obeyed. power of Jesus. My friend, you remember the power of Jesus. When the devil is making you afraid, and you will be afraid at times, you will be terrified. I am afraid. We're all struggle with fear of the devil. But when you're afraid, you take the devil to this passage. And you remind him that the one who had power in his word and presence then still lives and reigns. And he is not God. Demons, he's not, demon is not even a God with a little g. 
And Satan is not a God like our God. There's only one true God. That's almighty God. And his name is Jesus Christ. Remember what Martin Luther wrote years ago in a song. 500 years ago. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little world, word shall fail him. My friend, there is coming a day and Satan knows that day is coming. He is filled with fear of the Lord our God. He hates him, but he knows there is a day when the Son of God will say to that arch enemy, Satan, that serpent, you go to hell. And that's where he's going. When the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. It's, I started to say it's not so hot, but it's hot. <laughs> Very hot. Jesus possesses all authority in the spiritual realm. Do you hear me, church? Jesus possesses all authority in the spiritual realm. And he possesses all authority in the physical realm. Our blessed Messiah has power spiritually and he has power physically. And he brings them both to bear right here in this story. Right here we see it. What does our Lord do with this unmatched physical and spiritual power. What would anyone do with such physical and spiritual power? It would corrupt us completely, but it can't corrupt Jesus because he's incorruptible. His power is only for physical good and spiritual good. Verse 35, notice what it says. And when the demon had thrown him down, it says then, He's thrown in their midst. He came out of him, having done him, the man, no harm. Our Lord has complete power physically. He has complete power spiritually. How wonderful is the authority of our Lord. Amen. How wonderful this. And it caused a wonder. <laughs> What do you think can happen? What do you think happened within milliseconds of this? I mean, faster than Facebook. What do you think happened? <laughs> this is what happened. Verse 36. This is what happened. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? Notice the emphasis is the word. For with authority... And power, he commands the unclean spirits. They come out and reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. Never in the history of the world had such power been displayed. Do you know why? Because never in the history of the world had the maker of the world walked this planet. This is the maker of heaven and earth, and he's walking this planet. 
He's walking through the fields. He's walking through the lanes. He's walking through the streets. And this is so wonderful. The maker of heaven and earth with all of his power walks right into people's homes. You know what the apostle Peter said about Jesus later on? He said, as he testified about Jesus, that Jesus of Nazareth was a man who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He has all authority, and what does he do with it? He goes about doing good, healing all who are oppressed of the devil. And Peter should know because it happened right in his house. Look at verse 38. That's where Jesus went. He went out the front door of the synagogue. Notice it says he got up. I love that. He has even moved. He gets up. He goes out the front door of the synagogue. He turns right and he walks just a few hundred feet. And he comes to the house of Simon. Verse 38 says, he arose, he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and he rebuked the fever. Now notice, it doesn't say he rebuked. The demon of fever. He rebuked the fever. It means, again, what's the whole context about? His word, his authority, his word. He just spoke to the fever and said, leave her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Just a few hundred yards from the synagogue. I hope you can go there someday. If you go there today, you know what you'll find? There's a, there's, a, there's a church that's been built over, and it's open so you can see underneath it by, through glass. It's built over a first century home right down the street from the synagogue that they've also excavated. And here, when they uncovered this house a few decades ago, it intrigued them because as they dug down, they dug down, they dug down, they got to the original home. They found that the original home at one time had been changed into a church. Why would the home become a place of worship? They found their little signs that where worship had taken place in the earliest of the Middle Ages. Even within perhaps a generation of the first century. And you know what they found? They found signs of fish that had been etched into the wall. And they found the name Peter inscribed in different places. The house of Simon, now excavated, now a, a, a lovely shrine. But what happened there is enshrined forever in the word of God. Jesus went into that very small house and he rebuked the fever and the fever left Simon's mother-in-law and within a few hours, notice verse 40, what happens? Well, you know what's going to happen. The sun's setting, all those who were, who were sick with various diseases, all who had any in their family who were sick with various diseases, they brought them to him. He laid his hands on them and healed them. Now notice this. 
They brought all of them. They brought all of them. And Jesus laid his hands and he healed what? Every one of them. Not just the ones who had faith to believe. Some didn't have any faith at all. Not just the ones who somehow believed or that he could do it. And he did not heal just a few of them. He healed all of them. He didn't heal a few and leave the others in their wheelchairs, in their crutches. And then say, well, they could have been healed if they just had enough faith. But they didn't have enough faith, so they couldn't be healed. That's not the way Jesus heals. He heals everybody of every ailment. That's how Jesus heals. He heals those that are physically oppressed. And then look at verse 41. He's still healing those who are spiritually oppressed. Look at verse 41. And the demons also came out of many crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Again, he silenced them. He silenced these demonic spirits. Why? Because Jesus would not have these monsters being his missionary. He would not let himself and his ministry be associated with this demonic spiritual presence. He is not going to have a mass crowd take control. He's in control. He will reveal himself as he wants, when he wants. He's not going to be taken captive by the maniacal, monstrous authorities. He's not going to be partner with that which is not of the kingdom of God, but is of the kingdom of darkness. May the people of God and the church of God hold to that today. That we are not going to be pawns, be used for devices of man. We are not going to allow ourselves to be partnered with that which is evil. We're not going to call evil good and good evil. We're not going to call light darkness and darkness light. We are going to say what God says. We're going to stand with him. We will not be used by the enemy forces of this world. That's what the church has to say. Because there's always Always the spirit of this world that wants to take the people of God and hijack their faith for their own selfish political purposes. And the people of God have got to say, no. No. Amen, Pastor Sam. Thank you. Thank you. I I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm saying that facetiously. I know you're thinking about what I'm saying. I hope you're thinking about what I'm saying. I understand what I'm saying. Now notice his mission. What do these people want? They want him to stay. Of course, they want him to stay. But he has a mighty and merciful mission. The consequences of Jesus' mission. What's the consequences? Verse 42. But he, they, they, they said to him, 
Even in that desolate place he had gone, they came to him and they would have kept him from leaving. They don't want him to leave. Now, isn't this just a little different than Nazareth? Oh, they didn't just want him to leave. They, they wanted him gone, done. And here these people, their hearts have been touched by the king. They've been captured by his mercy and his authority, and they don't want him to leave. And guess what? Jesus would come back to Capernaum many times. He never went back to Nazareth. Jesus is a perfect gentleman when he's not wanted. He understands. But when people want him, he'll come back. He'll come back. He came back many times to Capernaum. But he has to go. Why? Because there's a call on him. He has a call. It's the call of Jesus' mission. There's a call on his life. Verse 43, I must preach. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. I was sent. You know what that word sent is? It's a word for apostle. I was sent by my father on this mission to preach the message of good news. And he was preaching, which means continual action. He was preaching in the synagogues. He went from place to place to place, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. My friend, the message of the kingdom of God, listen carefully, is the king himself. Where is the king of the kingdom of God? I'll tell you where the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is wherever the king is. The kingdom of God is in our midst because the king is here. And the kingdom of God is within us because the kingdom's here. That's where the kingdom of God is. The kingdom will come to this earth one day, literally, physically, with the return of our Lord. But the kingdom's already here in the hearts and minds and presence and the gatherings of his people. The kingdom is here because the king is with us in the spirit of Jesus. Is your life his kingdom? Is your life the kingdom of God? Does he live in your life? Is your heart his throne? It can be. And today, if you bow your knees to the King of kings and Lord of lords, you'll call on him by faith. Your heart will become the throne of the King of heaven. And your life will become a kingdom. And the light of the Lord, the King, will shine in you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Amen. What do we take away from this? What does this mean? Oh, we worship and adore the king, mighty and merciful. But what about his might and his mercy through me? How do I carry out his might and mercy? Number one, as I announce his message. We are his messengers. We are his representatives. Friends, listen. We are to say what God says. We're to say what Jesus says. We're all messengers. 
Know the Word of God. Study the Word of God. You may not know it perfectly, but what God gives you, share with others. Tell them what the Lord's told you. Let people know this is what the Word says. Why? Because there's authority in the Word. Friend, His Word never returns empty. His Word is powerful. You speak the Word of God. You share what God says. Let your voice be like Billy Graham's. The Bible says. You don't have to be Billy Graham, but you can say what he says. The Bible says, right? Amen. You say, well, what if they don't believe it? That has nothing to do with it. How many people in this room got saved the first time you heard the Bible? Very few, but thank God some. But the Word of God is like seed. And it produces fruit. Amen. You sow the Word of God. Sow it in your own heart. Sow it in your family. Sow it to your grandchildren, your children. Speak it where you go. Just share the message of the Lord. Amen. And then act with mercy. Don't just say things but not do things. Act with mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is pity in action. You haven't shown mercy when you just say, well, poor thing. Poor thing. That's not mercy. Mercy is when you sense pity, but then you do something about it. Amen. You want to lift the burden. You want to help. You do what you can do to be an encouragement and a blessing. That is mercy, and you do it in the name of Jesus, and even a cup of cold water offered in His name. Jesus takes note, and He says that will be rewarded. Amen. Oh, a lot of people have heard a lot of sermons, but you know what needs to reach their heart? They need someone that they can see some sermon. Someone's well said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And then advance his mission. How do you advance his mission? Well, where's his kingdom? In you. In me. And so how do you advance the kingdom? Where? Well, it's wherever I am, wherever I go, wherever he leads. Lord, I'm yours. Wherever I am, let me say what you say and do what you do with your mercy. Wherever I go, let me say what you say. Speak for you and help others in your name. And wherever you lead me, Lord, I want to speak for you and I want to act in mercy because you're my king and you live in my heart and the power of your word and your mercy has touched me and captured me and I want to see you do it in the lives of others. Father God, we thank you that you lead us. We thank you that you come and show us your power and might in your word so that we can go in your name. And I pray right now that the hearts of people right here will become your throne. May the prayer of many right now be, Lord Jesus Christ, please, in your power, your might, and your grace, come, be seated on the throne of my heart. Reign, Lord Jesus, reign, reign over me. 
rip the scepter out of my hand that I selfishly cling. And oh Lord, take it in your own and reign in me. Lord, lead us. Lead us in your spirit to speak your word, to spread your mercy. Lead us, O oh Lord, we pray in your name.